वेलकम 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 Alright everybody. So I'm happy that you have found me again. I'm happy you have reached out and pressed play. What's Frank up to tonight? Well, we're going to be doing some things together, together as always. I always think what would people want to do with me tonight? What would they want to talk with me about tonight? And I have something I think is pretty cool. It's creepy. But that's a little bit uh that's just right up our alley. So we're going to be talking about in a nutshell gullibility, human gullibility. And it's going to be delivered to you in a way that uh that that first presents to you the the most ridiculous aspects and elements of our society, at least the most visible aspects, and that is our representatives in government. um the narrative the reality and whether or not it actually reflects their long-time hopes of that utopia coming or are they finally starting to give up as well um but then we go to bill gates bill gates who goes and uh, and allows himself to admit things that many of us were were shadow banned and um deplatformed for um for thinking for seeing for coming to very early logical conclusions in the uh, the pandemic in 2020 and then i want to just talk about gullibility because of course there's a lot of people out there we have gone far beyond that realm of um trump derangement syndrome into a the, the age of the super normie perhaps that's what it is i put that in the description tonight is it the super normie or is it just even more regressive than they is that too is that too easy going and not regressive enough to talk about what we are uh the kind of cult like behavior and self-flagellating behavior and unconditional loyalty to authority figures and where that has led us in the past and it's going to be it's going to be married <clears throat> to the story of Jim Jones and Jonestown and the People's Temple Now I have two really amazing articles. They are not too long. They're going to be a disturbing read, and I will give disclaimers as we go along because there's a lot of vulgarity in some of it too. And you know, I'm not I I'm thinking about the children these days. Doesn't bother me. But I'm thinking about the children these days. So I'll let you know. And uh and yeah, it'll be a little bit of a short show tonight. I don't have a band practice, but I do have a band meeting. We have a uh, another performance we've picked up. in a few weeks like maybe 3 weeks or or so and we just have to put the, the the music room back together and talk about set list and and shit like that so I'll be getting off around 8:30 still plenty of time so let's get started shall we first thing I want to do is I want to thank my sponsors for the evening and that is Blue Monster Prep now Blue Monster Prep I always call them an internet superstore for all of your prepping needs and you know what what else can I say about them here is blue monster preps webpage now here's all the categories that you can do do really really amazing amounts of shopping in communication emergency food emergency water emp protection i guess it's like your faraday cages and stuff uh first aid kits flood lighting ppe personal protection 
public access bleeding control, sanitation, security, shelter, sleeping, solar, stop the bleed kits, a lot of bleeding. As soon as the light goes, this is the one thing I have learned from Pat and Gina. As soon, as soon as the lights go out, we are you're 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 going to encounter massive amounts of just random bleeding. You scrape your knee, it's just going to start gushing. It's like I don't remember it being this way. So make sure you know how to stop all the bleeding, all the types of bleeding. They have several several kits just for that. We are a, a, a very porous species. And once the el the electricity goes out, we start leaking, man. Do we ever? But um, especially food. The only thing that they do not have on this site is selling precious metals. Because I would say go to Blue Monster Prep. Uh, you can do all of your societal collapse prepping, uh, energy prep, whatever the hell it is. And also get yourself some junk silver and some some gold or whatever the hell. That's the only thing they don't have. And it's the only, uh, that's a major sponsor I, I would have loved to have too. Um, that'd be cool. Get a quite frankly silver press one day. That'd be nice. But all we have are uh, the, the, quite frankly, wooden nickels concept. It's not even real. It's not even real. It's still in the concept phase, the wooden nickels, which is going to have far more value than Bitcoin in a couple of weeks. So, <laughs> all right. Um, all right, so there you go. BlueMonsterPrep.com. Go there. If you don't know where to start, contact Pat and Gina. I would say hundreds of people in this audience have already contacted them. Nobody's ever had a bad time, ever. They've had clarity, they know how to, how to put things in, and uh, it's good. Quite Frankly Podcast used the Frankly promo code. All right. <clears throat> Here we go, first thing up in the grab bag. Headline from Sputnik. Increasing numbers of Swedes are d being diagnosed as mentally retarded. The spike in diagnoses has no medical explanation, although in some extreme cases, such as in the city of Orebro, a whopping 617% rise has been measured. The number of Swedish adults diagnosed with mild forms of intellectual disability has increased sharply. What Swedish adults? Have they... Hold on. A review of statistics from the National Board of Health and Welfare by the trade newspaper, I don't know how to say that, has indicated that the number of adult patients with mild forms of retardation has more than doubled, increasing by 143% between the years 2008 and 2020. In concrete figures, the number of adults diagnosed during this period increased from 1,133 to 3,114 people. In some extreme cases, the city of Orebro the increase has been measured in an incredible 617%. The National Board of Health and Welfare has no explanation for the spike. Obviously, there has been an increase. There is therefore important to have a closer look at this. Yeah, because, let me see. If, if I'm giving them a chance to answer my question. Hold on. According to the Salmi, to Salmi, one possible explanation for the rise could be the fact that diagnosis manual was updated in 2013. Before that, people with IQ below 70 were automatically classified as mildly retarded. However, 
Since more important uh, importance is uh, is placed on how they function in everyday life, between 2013 and the number of diagnoses only increased by 37%. Salmi, I, I hate to ask the question, how many are native-born Swedes and how many are from other parts of the country, from other parts of the world that have been imported? Now, I, I know that the, uh, the, the IQ thing, the, I, the IQ topic has gotten a lot of people in trouble, like, um, like Stefan Molyneux, he like was disappeared from so many parts of the internet because he would get into things like IQ and, um, and whatever. But, uh, that's one thing I am sure we're not going to get from this article. The diagnosis manual was updated in 2013 before that people with an IQ lower than 70. Um, however, since the more importance is placed on how they function in everyday life, and between 2013 and 2020, the number of diagnoses only increased by 37%. Salmi further explained that investigations for ADHD and autism have increased in recent years, and those surveys include an aptitude test which may have increased the number of diagnoses. That's, I don't know, when you're talking mild retardation and you're talking about IQ of hovering around or below room temperature, I don't know, room temperature 70 around there, I, I, I don't know how that could be, an ADHD does, is not an indicator of intelligence or retardation. So I don't, I don't get this at all. Because they're, they're realizing a trend in adults. Adults. Where usually you would, you would notice that a, a child is developmentally challenged in some way as they're going through primary school and all that stuff because you're, you're surrounded by uh, uh, counselors and principals and teachers and coaches and all that stuff. You, you, everybody usually knows every tick that you have by the time you're eight years old. So this is very odd. So I'll just put that out there and we'll see what you guys talk about in the chat rooms without me. Headline from Just the News. Head of DHS Disinformation Governance Board calls opponents of critical race theory disinformers. This woman, Nina, with the Jay Leno chin. The Biden administration is disinformation czar. Is, uh, disin- I'm going to talk to Chris Ann Hall about this when she comes back on the show on the 18th. I'm going to talk about this and a few other things. But the disinformation czar referred last fall to opponents of critical race theory as disinformers, accusing them of peddling disinformation to stoke anger and make money off of the uproar. Okay. Nina Jankowitz, who was recently appointed head of Department of Homeland Security's new and controversial disinformation governance board. So it's like I- illegal, an illegal presence inside of an illegal presence. It, it's a it's a Russian doll of unconstitutional, anti uh, anti civil uh, civil liberties bullshit. That's what it is. That's what we live with now. Critical race theory has become one of the most hot button issues that Republicans and other disinformers who are engaged in disinformation for profit, frankly, have seized on. No, I, I have me, people like me have absolutely nothing to profit from black children 
and brown children uh, who should just be seen and dealt with as Americans. I have nothing to profit from them uh, from this horrible hate, pro-hatred, pro-segregation grooming from ceasing, from their minds being destroyed, from creating, uh, that prevents us from creating better neighbors, better, better classmates, better friends, where people don't have chips on their shoulder, where you're not being held in orbit by what you say, and, and you know, they're, they're still, you know, that, that's it. I mean, I, I would love, I, I think that that is just in the best interest of all Americans. Uh, or any any country, wherever the hell you are, I think it's in the best interest of any citizens of any country to make sure that your children are not being turned into com- complete self-loathing tyrants. That would be great. I don't know where, where you can profit from that, except for maybe profiting and in, in living in, in a less stressful environment. One day after you can wash all the stain out in a couple of generations. Who knows if we have that time. And here is the big, uh, another big story. A barb in the side of all of the people who, uh, who hate free speech, even though we really don't even know if this is going to be a, a huge dent in what has been done to free speech. But so far, as I said, it's been a fun ride. Elon Musk says he would reverse the Twitter ban on Donald Trump. Incoming Twitter owner Elon Musk said Tuesday he would never he I mean he would reverse the social media's platform ban on former president Donald Trump. The decision to ban Trump said Musk, a billionaire entrepreneur, was morally wrong and flat out stupid. He made the comment in the Financial Times future of the car conference after the Twitter uh, after he and Twitter reached a deal about 2 weeks ago for him to buy the platform for roughly 44 billion dollars. Trump, who has since launched his own social media platform, Truth Social, says he will not return to Twitter, but rather will focus on his own company. Trump was initially banned by Twitter and Facebook after the January 6th Capitol riot, which, um, who the fuck cares? And now here, here's the actual comments he made. Listen to this. Um, I guess the answer is that I, I, I would reverse the perma ban. I'll say I'm not, I don't own Twitter yet, so this is not like a thing that will definitely happen. Because See, that's the other thing. Crazy. They're crazy for things that actually haven't even happened. Between this, Trump, it's incredible. What if I don't own Twitter? Um, but my opinion, and Jack Dorsey, I want to be clear, shares this opinion, uh, is that we should not have perma, perma bans. Uh, Jack Dorsey shares this opinion. Yet it happened under Jack Dorsey, on Jack Dorsey's watch. Okay. No, no, I, so he doesn't want like permabans at all and all that stuff. Listen, it'll just be awesome to, to be able to go through the archived Trump tweets again and have them get retweeted and see people go nuts. That's really all it, this is about. Seeing people go nuts. Because he can't come back to Twitter. He can't. He, too, too much money has been put into Truth Social. So it'll be a great way to just haunt and taunt those who are on Twitter. He should jump in on like Halloween and stuff like that. He, would, he should do things like that. Maybe four or five tweets a year. Trump. Just to scare everybody. <laughs> That's... <laughs> All right. Okay. 
let us get started with the main course for this evening. Thank you so much for showing up and share this far and wide. Whether you're watching live or on demand, get the show out there. It's going to be a nice night for some creepy, weird, but very relevant talk radio. A trip through history. One of the murkier chapters or footnotes in history. And we will see what we can do with the time we have allotted to us. We will be right back. Don't go anywhere. stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's rock! Sheik. The Sheik of Araby. All right, so if you were paying attention and welcome to the show, this is quite frankly, the pre-show is over. Now we are in the, uh, the full experience. So if you were looking at the news today, you might have noticed that things still aren't going very well for us. <laughs> um, the, the gas prices are are going back up again. Now, I, I we knew that this was going to happen once uh, Biden gave away a lot of our re- oil reserves. You remember that? Started selling it all off, and it, we had a little like this tiny little dip, and then we we got word that he was buying oil from everybody to try to replenish the reserves, which of course means that they're going to go back up again. But there's so many reasons why it's going to go back up. And it's, I mean, how many times do we have to go through this? But here's a little bit of what we had in the, the headlines. Gas prices jump to, fre- uh, jump, jump to fresh new record highs. This is from Matt Egan at CNN Business. Another one. Skipping meals, racking up debt, how inflation is squeezing single parents. Not only that, you might have seen some of the memes. I just shared one on the, quite frankly, official Instagram for as long as I have that. I don't know how many times things get taken down and I get told your your account can be removed. I don't do any commenting on Insta. I want to comment on so, th- so many things on Instagram, but I can't. 
because between things that I post that get removed and I get warnings, I don't know how many warnings you get before you get removed, but I've had several comments of mine that I thought were pretty innocuous being labeled as violent. So, but, you know, anyway, the memes have been pretty fresh on the other things that are going on today, especially the news about baby formula, how there's a baby formula shortage and and uh you know there's something wrong with it all and i I don't know and on the flip side we get this you remember when they said they were going to give us a very masonic 33 billion dollars and ship it off they'll give us give the ukraine give all of their their uh their assets their their satellite company over there in the ukraine they're gonna give it 33 billion well they said that to hell with that let's just take more u.s congress plans nearly $40 billion more for Ukraine. And the COVID aid package is going to wait. (laughs) Oh, when you take COVID has to, COVID is the red, redheaded stepchild right now has to wait in line. Oh man. The current thing, current things, they continue to get that bread, man. The current thing, man. Current things are great money makers, and the current thing right now is Ukraine. You better hold off, COVID package, COVID aid. So babies don't have their formula, but we are showering the uh, the the stripper president Zelensky in in cash that we don't have. U.S. congressional Democrats agreed to rush $39.8 billion in additional aid for Ukraine. Two sources familiar with the proposal said on Monday, easing fears a delayed vote could interrupt the flow of U.S. weapons to Kiev government. Easing the fears, the global fears that a delayed vote could interrupt the flow of weapons to the government in Kiev. This, and remember, this is for a war we are supposed to have nothing to do with. Everything. Even even things that aren't as provocative. Aren't as provocative as uh, our intelligence has have sunk. Russian flagships. Even this, they, they plant little digs in there. Interrupt the flow of U.S. weapons. Oh my gosh, we are fucking fools. And so, and I can't even imagine the amount of people who have been sold on the nobility of these of these operations, the nobility of it all. So that's what the, that's how much money the current thing is raking in. And when it comes to just how bad things are getting for the average person, which is another reason why Joe Biden did not win the election. Because there's no reason to upset the apple cart. You can hate Donald Trump and still have a uh, still be gainfully employed. Okay, you can. That's the, the most American thing you can do is talk out of both sides of your mouth. Okay, you can you can have your cake and eat it too. I should say, be gainfully employed because of the, the just a little bit that Donald Trump was able to get done in an economic sense, and also hate him and then go secretly vote for him because you want to be able to work for yourself and, and, and be, do better for yourself and then just present whatever kind of a fucking act that you have for everybody around you. That is the most American thing that you can do, having your cake and eat it too. So um, now this demented old geezer is, is, is being told, well, your, your main priority now is inflation. 
where he was just giving up on it a couple of weeks ago, said it's going to be here forever. Uh, but only thing is that now he's having a harder and harder time reading. That's getting worse for him. So the cognitive decline. I, I wonder if he's Swedish. <laughs> I wonder if Joe Biden... Does Joe Biden have any Swedish blood? Did he have any Swedish blood transfusions uh, any time between 2008 and 2013? <laughs> so um, I'm sorry to all the Swedes that watch. Obviously, you are very smart. But um, what else do we have? Here we go. Ready? Here he is just uh, explaining something about inflation. And I agree with what Chairman Powell said last week, that the number one threat is the strength, and that strength that we build is inflation. So the Fed should... You heard that again, everybody. The number one threat is the strength, or the strength that we built is inflation. So if you, if you weren't clear beforehand, you are now. And I agree with what Chairman Powell said last week, that the number one threat is the strength, and that strength that we build is... Give him another injection. Get the smelling salts out. Somebody, get the smelling salts out. We, need a, we just need a little something there. Here's a little bit that has been collected by Twitchy. Jen Psaki clarifies Joe Biden's earlier remarks, explains that he is the president when we do control all branches of forms of branches of government. So um, here, here he goes on again about the responsibility for inflation. This is from Disclose.tv who got the clip. Do you believe that you and your administration bear some measure of responsibility for the inflation that we're seeing across the country? First is we're in power. That's the first thing. And you justifiably right, we control all three branches of the government. Well, we don't really. Well, I, so he said we're in power. They, he asked if they had any kind of responsibility for inflation. And he just says, well, first we're in power. We control all three branches of the government. Well, we don't really. So I don't know if that's whatever's left of his, his inner regulating monologue telling him to walk that one back quickly because it sounds he sounds like he sounds like Emperor Palpatine. But then Ginger Goebbels came out to clarify what Biden meant and it ended up just sounding worse. Ended up just sounding worse. Uh, what the president's done is taken steps to address both of those uh, enormous, uh, enormous challenges uh, and, and tried to put forward solutions to them. Uh, we'll leave it to the Federal Reserve, outside economists, inside economists uh, to, to make other projections on what's next. They've already made projections about when they expect inflation to come down. As he noted today, he is the president. We do, do control all forms of branches of government. That's why he laid out very clearly what he'll continue to do as president to bring down prices. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and this is why I thought that this next thread this very short thread was appropriate, especially since last night we were we jumped into this, and we did this on the um, on the show. It was the thread. Uh, it was the, it was the, the Star Trek. There was a Star Trek trailer for a new spinoff that is coming on that I'm sure everybody in this audience is going to be watching. And in the spin-off, spin-off, it talks about World War III. Obviously, they're looking back in the past and how World War III began with riots 
at the Capitol on January 6th, and it went to some kind of a eugenesis phase and then something else. But there was a, I, I really appreciated this very short thread's take. Dr. Barron, 17.5C, well, I don't know what it is, shite poster. There you go, shite poster, DDS, a dentist. And he said the following. Ah, oh, here comes the adrenaline dump. Sorry, everybody. I keep doing that. The buttons are just so close. I'm trying to get loose with it over here. Okay, here you go. About the latest Star Trek spinoff. Since the fiction is since fiction is the dramatization of the dreams and fears of people writing it, this is deeply revealing. What they're saying is that they no longer are sure that their utopian future embodied by Star Trek in a classical sense will ever happen. Instead, they're extremely afraid that their vision has failed. The major revelation here isn't the possibility that it has failed, which we all know, but rather the fact that they are starting to feel it in a way that they can no longer deny. So deep down, they're starting to write about it in their dreams, in their fictions. If you believe, as many do, that the current movement is indistinguishable from the religious one, then it is extremely revealing that its most faithful and important proponents, the authors of its narrative, especially that means in media, in the news, and on the pulpits and you know the, behind uh, doing all these press conferences, they are coming around to doubt. It feels much more like the conservative narrative than a liberal one, and if they, we all see how the conservative narrative has done over the last 50 years, it's, uh, it's determined how the regime is doing. All you have to do is look at the dream that the regime is projecting. And, and, and that's really what I think is going on here. That's why I wanted to do those opening pieces of media uh, combined with the headlines that you're probably seeing all over the place about the economy not doing well and, and having no choice but to do poorly. You don't have people that are in charge of, uh, of government that are, are actually caring about us, representing us, making things good for us here at home, which usually in an American, a traditional American sense means get the hell out of the way and just letting us do our thing. This is about easing us away from the past once and for all, clipping the roots, the dead roots once and for all, and that's it. But that utopia that they've been telling us about that was just around the corner, I think they know that that is not going, that's not going to be, that's not going to be. And I think it's just ejection button time. That's why all these people like Jen Psaki, who are in a position to give any kind of analysis on the subject, all they have to offer now is anger, contempt, passive-aggressive, snarky bullshit, never any straight answers. Obviously, there's never any responsibility taken, which is equally dubious. You know, you, how can you always be right? How can you always be right, and how could it always only ever be anybody else but yourself to blame? How, how could that be? And the fact that you don't ever want to debate you don't ever want to go and have conversations on unfriendly television shows. You, you want to, you obviously have all of your surrogates in social media shutting down even the, uh, the much larger general audience debate among us, among ourselves, among the common citizen. That even has to be stifled.
Because, of course, that's the most important. That's the most important thing there. Because there really is no consent. The A, we are in a post-consent world in the United States. And as we were talking about last night with Velez, who knows how long we really have not had control of our elections in a, in a, in a serious way. That, that's not to say that every election down to the local dog catcher has been rigged. But when it comes to the big picture and making sure that there's just enough friendlies, friendlies in, in place to go ahead and get things in order. That means Republicans and Democrats, if you think that the system is not anointing both of them, all right, it's about fellow travelers. It's about what choices are presented to people who believe that there's still a choice. And many of those choices are, uh, are compromised on both sides. And, and we just, we, we play the, uh, the lesser of two evils game. We play, the cre- we play the game where it's like, hey, well, many of us think that we're, we're, we're going to head towards some bad times. But we want to just create some wind resistance on the way down. You know, while we talk about things that matter. But why was I talking about post-consent? Because if you don't stifle the conversations we have with each other and we are able to get some grassroots things going, grassroots awakenings and revelations going, then it's going to be harder and harder for the puppet masters in the media and elsewhere and their puppet masters to project that they are in control and that people are actually voting the way that they are saying they are voting, which we're not, which we're not. It's getting harder and harder to keep that, that together. But that's why I say all they have to offer now is anger and blame. And uh, blame, blaming those who they think has ruined what is already impossible, their utopia. That everybody gets taken care of with the education and health care and uh, every boy is a girl, every girl's a boy. and everything. It just doesn't matter. It's all impossible. So since it's, it's becoming more and more apparent that that's not going to happen, you can see we're getting nothing but just contempt from all aspects of the media. And you know what? Even, even places like uh, I know that there's been a lot of people trying to get on the last holdout at Fox News, Tucker Carlson, to acknowledge 2,000 mules because they haven't, been, they haven't said anything about that. But it's, it's just we are on our own, ladies and gentlemen, and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a good thing, because I'll tell you, we won't fall in line with the bigger herd that we're going to be talking about in the next couple of minutes. First, let's get to this loser. Then you got this guy. You want to talk about somebody who is trying to uh, keep, keep a con together. Bill Gates. Bill Gates, disease of the elderly. That's what COVID was, he says. Low fatality rate, kind of like the flu. If we said that, if we said that two years ago, on this day, we would not be allowed to do much of anything else. You'd be talking to your, your household pets, your fish, for the rest of the pandemic because you wouldn't be on, uh, you wouldn't be on Facebook, you wouldn't be on Twitter, you wouldn't be on YouTube. Bill Gates isn't an immunologist, this is from the Daily Wire, and he doesn't even play one on TV, but the billionaire's co-founder, Billionaire co-founder of Microsoft has immersed himself in the study of world's problems and donated billions of dollars to tackle the scourge of malaria in Africa through his philanthropic foundation. So when he speaks, people listen, which makes what he said last week about COVID-19 interesting. 
Quote, it wasn't until early February when I was in a meeting that experts at the foundation said there's no way that COVID-19 could have been contained, he said. At that point, we didn't really understand the fatality rate. We didn't understand that it's a fairly low fatality rate and that it's a disease of mainly elderly, kind of like the flu, although it's a bit different than that. Yeah, they didn't understand it. They didn't understand it. I think it should should have been really easy to understand since people only really started dying when we hooked them up to uh, ventilators and started giving them that, uh, that kidney failure serum that failed in Africa. The remdesivir. So, yeah, that's really interesting. Really interesting. He later hedged a bit, saying Americans need to stay vigilant as he criticized the initial response of the virus, even though he said there was no way it could have been contained. So what the hell? So what the hell are you talking about? He said, quote, that was a pretty scary period where the world didn't go didn't go on alert, including the United States, nearly as fast as it needed to. Yeah, I know. We just went on living because. In any time in our lives or in past lives here, there was always things breaking out in parts of the world, things much more virulent, much more deadly, and people had to go on, and it came and went. It was never, a, it was never uh, nice to read about. It's tragic, of course, if it affected you directly, but uh, this is just really uh, the, the reaction, the reaction to the thing that everybody eventually came around to saying, oh, well, this wasn't that bad, was lacking. Why would, whenever did we have to think about reacting severely until we realized when something was was worthy of being scared about? Now, obviously, there was a lot of early propaganda that was coming out of places like China with the, the closed caption television of people just falling down on their face. So we were all curious but as far as uh, everything else goes, this is just uh, incredible. And it's infuriating. Really, really infuriating. So he suddenly has 2020 hindsight about the severity of COVID 19. So Jen Psaki, Biden, Gates, Fauci, General Milley, who is gullible enough to believe them? Who's gullible enough to keep holding on to their coattails? and allowing to be themselves to be dragged for miles and miles and miles for years and years. Well, tonight, I have a pretty creepy read that should offer up some answers. And I like this because we wanted to get back around to Jonestown. I wanted to get back around to this because there's a, there's a lot that we can talk about, especially with the, the, uh, the intelligence community links that a lot of people say are there. But still, let's talk about this. I found this from a uh, substack written by one Chris Bray, and it's a pretty incredible two-piece article that we can get through tonight. It focuses on Jim Jones, the formation of the People's Temple cult, and the level of gullibility that was necessary for this to even have had a chance of being pulled off. And these articles were written with the current year in mind. So I think that this should be something else. And I'll let you know, part two is uh is pretty vulgar pretty vulgar but part one i think we should we should be able to get through maybe this is time for the children to get out of here you know but still everybody else you know what you're getting into so here we go chris bray writes in 1971 
Jim Jones loaded up some buses in California and took members of his People's Temple across the country to Pennsylvania to Woodmont, the estate of the late spiritual leader, Father Divine, who had a much bigger church and a lot more money than Jones did. Reaching Woodmont, Jones tried Plan A, announcing the glorious news that he was the reincarnation of Father Divine and had come to lead his church again, and we might as well just go ahead and put my name on all the bank accounts. The dead leader's wife suggested, in fairly clear language, that Jones get back on his bus while he still could walk. The delegation from People's Temple took the hint, but Jones also executed Plan B with modest success. He poached some congregants and drove them across the country to his own church in Yukai. I don't know how you say that. Yukia? Yukia. I'll just say that for, for next, next couple times. Back home, Jones worried that people who had followed Father Divine would struggle to make the transition, feeling more loyalty to their own leader than to their new one. So he showed them that he couldn't be crossed. One day, uh, as the refugees from Philadelphia sat eating a meal with everyone else in the communal dining room, Jones walked in and caught, se caught several of the earlier members of his church being disloyal to him. And so, pointing a finger, he ordered them to die. They did. Immediately. Bodies littered the floor. Jones let the silence linger. Standing over the lifeless bodies of the people who had betrayed his trust, the power of death shooting through his fingertips, and then he showed his merciful side. He resurrected them. A choice that allowed the dead to share the horrible feelings of being struck down by the indescribably vast and awesome power of Jim Jones. Terrified, the new members of the church fell into line. He did this shit all the time. During recruiting trips to rented churches on the, uh, in other cities, visitors had mid-sermon strokes and heart attacks. Nurses in the congregation frantically tried to resuscitate them, but announced that it was too late. But no, the Reverend Jones wouldn't allow death to strike in his own holy church. Rushing forward and shoving the nurses aside, he commanded the dead, Arise, arise, yada, yada, whatever. In 1972, a church bulletin proudly announced that Jones had personally resurrected 40 dead people so far in just that one year. And here you're feeling proud that you remembered to make the bed this morning. I take these stories from Raven, a doorstop thick, a doorstop thick history of Jones and People's Temple written by journalist Tim Raiderman, with research assisted from a colleague, John Jacobs. Raiderman decided to write about how Jones after uh, write about Jones after he was shot at Jonestown visiting the final People's Temple location with the congressional delegation led by Leo Ryan remember that name <clears throat> the research task was the research task was made easier by the self regard the Reverend Jones had felt because he left behind a giant catalog of taped sermons and lectures and a long paper trail of church bulletins and memoranda the resulting book is an extraordinarily detailed look at every step Jones took along the path to mass murder, starting with the sadistic hucksterism of his strange childhood. We wonder now how many people believe all this shit about our own movement, uh, our own moment, I should say. Anthony Fauci says not to wear a mask. It won't protect you. And so people don't wear a mask because Dr. Fauci said so. And then Dr. Fauci says to always wear a mask. And so the same people always wear a mask because Dr. Fauci says so. And you think they don't notice? 
Joe Biden signs an executive order requiring masks on federal property for 100 days, and he says if you wear a mask for 100 days, we'll end the pandemic and you'll never have to wear a mask again. And then about 465 days later, we're still in the same pandemic and you should keep wearing your mask. The vaccines are 95% effective against infection. Well, okay, they're only 60% effective against severe illness. Well, okay, uh, and people are still on the bus. How? The first part of the answer is that people routinely believe way dumber things to the point of dying for them, and the dark art of making them believe is not a mysterious art. Jones started his ministry as a, Christ- as a Christian church, steering clear of mainstream congregations and hunting for believers who spoke in tongues and followed ministers who healed the sick by laying on of hands. He wanted people who were capable of fierce and extreme belief, details unimportant. And he built a church around them. Within a few years, he began to reveal to them that he had been wrong. But no worries, because he thought deeply about the problem. He was figuring it out. Remember, here's Bill Gates. He had been wrong, but listen, we're figuring it out, and we want to get it right for the next pandemic. Um, It turns out he helpfully explained that the Bible is nonsense, and there actually isn't really a God. And then... Reaching a little deeper, he helped them to finally break through to the understanding that he was God. And the only spirituality that mattered was apostolic socialism. The spirituality of deep and selfless human kindness, so you should be spiritual and sign over all of your property to me. He started with hardcore Christians, and within a few years he had them shouting with joy as he performed his go-to move of hurling down the Bible and grinding it under his feet in contempt while he screamed an actual quote, I am God. I am the science. So yes, you can get people to overlook inconsistency in your messaging about wearing cloth masks. I mean, gasp. Jim Jones has great charisma and shrewdness and all that crap we usually think about cult leaders, but the truth is that he was a hokey clown show of a human being, a sideshow freak in Elvis sideburns who made carnival barkers look dignified. He he hid chicken livers up his sleeve so he could rip cancer out of the bodies of the sick. He kept an elite staff of inner circle dirty tricksters who stole from trash cans and mailboxes so he could use his divine ESP to shock people with the secrets he knew from from seeing into their very souls. He was pure shit, a misplaced pimp in a fake pulpit. People saw this. Routinely, constantly, unremarkably, people watched Jim Jones resurrect the dead and pull, quote-unquote, cancer from the bodies of the sick, and they laughed and rolled their eyes and walked off of his idiotic, out, out of his idiotic church. Ministers invited him to give lectures and then threw him out of their churches. Many people invited were invited to attend churches at People's Temple. They went home, and they went once. Eventually, Jones trained a cadre of front-door staff to screen visitors, sidling up, to uh, sidling up to people they hadn't seen before and initiating conversations. People who were too alert, too shrewd, too conventional, too conservative, too radical, too likely to see through the bullshit were turned away on the front steps. Sorry, private service today. Leave your phone number and we'll call you if we have a public event sometime. He didn't even want them in the room. He wanted the people who were equipped to believe 
and knew the markers well enough to train his staff at seeing them. Man, a, com- a, a complete safe space where there's no dissenting voices. Where have I seen that before, too? He once got rid of people who saw that he was a scumbag and a clown, and he was left with a room full of people who didn't see. And he went from there with a toolkit of very plain and direct tools. And, of course, there is the horrible uh, Kool-Aid. Nudge groups and SPIB weren't, weren't, blaze, uh, weren't blazing trail. Behavioral science has been, pickpocketing, uh, has been picking pockets since the dawn of time, though we've called it other things. What's remarkable about Jim Jones in 2022 is how familiar he is and how much his unremarkable techniques of social manipula- manipulation and personal control match our own moment. And that's the end of part one. Now, part two... We just jump right into it. Disclaimer, there's a lot of F words in here. So I'll try to s- replace, I am no, uh, I don't cringe at the, the sound of the F word, obviously. It still slips out of me from time to time. Some nights, if you, you believe me, there have been some nights I realize I don't think I said F once. I think I've said it one or, once or twice tonight already. I try. But this is a little bit crazy. And it's, it's F words in a sexual context, too. So it's vulgar, but it's, it's all, okay, you just got to listen to this. Just saying, here we go. Part two by Chris Bray, May 8th. This is from the Chris Bray, C-H-R-I-S-B-R-A-Y dot substack dot com. Jim Jones was normal is the headline. He broke families, he taught fear, he isolated people, he shamed and demeaned people to break their spirits, he made people dependent, he ran obedience tests with deliberate sadism to see who would take it. That's it. Those are the tools. Again, all of this comes from Tim Reederman's book, Raven, which I encourage you to read. When Jonestown shows up in news stories, People's Temple is usually described as a 1970s era Bay Area cult that moved to Guyana. But that's not where Jim Jones started the church. He began in Indianapolis in the 1950s. In a moment where there were mostly black churches and white churches, Jones insisted on building a racially integrated congregation. Then he warned them with increasing urgency that the church would be attacked by white supremacists who were outraged by their social progress. A flood of menacing phone calls and threatening letters backed up the point. I wonder who wrote those. One night, as members of the church invited Jones at home, uh, visited Jones at home, he stepped into his bedroom alone, just as a brick crashed through the window. The visitors rushed into the bedroom where Jones told them that the white supremacists had just attacked his house. Miraculously, the brick and the broken glass had landed outside the window. Over the years, the threats built to a crescendo. Look, another terrifying letter. And Jones warned his congregation that the white supremacist threat was moving toward its culmination. And at the same time, he began to receive visions about the other great thing hanging over the world, nuclear war. It's coming, he told them, over and over again, sometimes even naming likely likely dates for the attack. Finally, under the increasingly terrifying dual threat of death from local attack or death from Soviet missiles, either of which could happen at any moment, Jones sent an advance party across the country to find a place where his people could survive. 
and then with a secure haven located, he led his congregation to safety in a remote area of Northern California. Good thing they made it out, right? For a congregation of Midwesterners, the journey to California meant a departure from parents, siblings, and adult children. For many, it meant the departure from their birthplace and every social connection that they had made outside of the church. It put them in the woods in a couple of thousand miles from their families in isolation together in a new place. All right. Here we go. Then, with church members living in church-built homes on church-owned property, Jones helped them see that the selfishness was cruel, that, uh, that selfishness was cruel and atavistic. People who loved, who were spiritual, shared together. So that's what kind of self, uh, self uh, that's what kind of self-involved monster kept a husband. So I should say this again. So what kind of self-involved monster kept a husband or a wife trapped? in a limiting one-on-one relationship. Liberating the members of his church, he helped them to start having sex with other church members outside of their marriages. In some instances, particularly close couples with especially stable relationships, he wanted the stable relationships gone. Like the church attorney, Tim Stowen and his wife Grace, forced Jones to issue direct orders telling them who they would be having sex with. And yes, it did liberate them from the confinement of their close marriage quickly and decisively. Jones also helped by having sex with everybody, teaching them how to become free. One night, Jones had a heart attack, another maneuver he used all the time, fake heart attacks. In the presence, he had a heart attack in the presence of a church member named Larry Layton. As Larry rushed to help, Jones explains that he needed to have sex with Larry's wife and had already started, and had brought her to orgasm, quote, no fewer, this is a quote, no fewer than 16 to 17 times, end quote, during their first encounter. But no worries, because Jones also assigned another church member, Karen Toe, to have sex with Layton, to assuage his pain. After the divorce, Layton and Toe got married, but Toe let Layton know that she still preferred to have sex with Jones. You see how liberating this is? When I say that Jones helped by having sex with everybody, I mean that Jones helped by having sex with everybody. Many men, many men in people's temple mistakenly thought that they were heterosexual. (laughs) There's sarcasm and uh, sardonic tones in here that I really appreciate. Many men in people's temple mistakenly thought that they were heterosexuals who were attracted to their wives. Jones helped them to see themselves more clearly by, and I am not making this up, giving it to them in the ass. He hated to do it. He didn't enjoy it. But he had a duty as their spiritual leader to help them understand their true inner being. I bet you didn't know this about Jonestown. Maybe some of you did. Remember that Reederman was able to reconstruct the history of the church by working in the extensive People's Temple archives. One of the kinds of documents he found there was a file of letters from men who wrote to thank Jones for helping them learn about themselves. Now, I'm going to read this verbatim because it's a lot of quotes. It's coming from letters from people that were members of this cult to Jones and were, uh, were put together in this book, Raven, by this writer, Reader, Readerman. Okay, so this is where a lot of the F-bombs come. So just letting you know. 
Jones helped others too, humbling and compromising them in a number of ways. Later, their confessions reinforced Jones' image as a selfless, heterosexual super lover. One particular man committed his feelings to paper as part of his post-sex therapy. Quote, and here's a, a three-statement quote. I felt that when you related to me, you were doing so to serve me without being condescending at all. Your choice of words, your warmth and tenderness made me feel that you deeply loved me. This guy is telling Jones. I felt that when you really... Uh, uh, your fucking me in the ass was, as I see it now, necessary to get me to deal with my deep-seated repression against my homosexuality. I have at times felt resentment at being fucked, even though I knew your motives were utterly pure. It was also due in part to the humiliation of being discovered by my wife and Karen. It did, uh, I did find being effed in the A pleasurable, but it felt so unnatural, I felt so unnatural about it, that the fear outweighed it. I know beyond doubt you are the very best sexual partner in the world, and I don't think I've ever thought I could re really compete with you. I mean, just... Okay. Remember, now we're back to uh, Chris Bray's writing. Remember, this is the next. Remember this the next time you feel baffled by some idiot still wearing a mask to drive around alone in his car. How can people be so gullible? Finally, destroying extended family connections and wrecking marriages, Jones turned to the destruction of the last family relationship. The church attorney, Tim Stone, and his wife, Grace, had a son. Jones forced them to sign a false acknowledgement that their pastor was the boy's real fa father and that he kept the statement in the church files to be used as a weapon. Then, when the child was two years old, Jones forced the Stones to surrender their son to be raised by the collective outside of their home. Children belong to the community, not to the parents. This should give you uh, a little bit of a flashback to, to Mel Melissa Harris-Perry on MSNBC. We have never invested as much in public education as we should have because we've always had kind of a private notion of children. Your kid is yours and totally your responsibility. We haven't had a very collective notion of these are our children. So part of it is we have to break through our kind of private idea that kids belong to their parents or kids belong to their families and recognize that kids belong to whole communities. Once it's everybody's responsibility and not just the households, then we start making better investments. Shut the fuck up. There you go. That's how I really wanted to use the F word the last 20 minutes. Uh, and now you know, ladies and gentlemen, why they're pushing, why they're pushing sexual kink and gender confusion on young generations of Americans that are even more impressionable. You know, I mean, you know, through school, these, these uh, you're talking about impressionable ages in school that they're getting to them, kindergarten, preschool, all the way through grade school, and then, of course, by higher learning, they're just cementing new layers of nonsense to reinforce everything that they've been learning since they were five and this is it this is this is why they're pushing all that stuff onto more impressionable children through schooling and through entertainment media because if this is what can be done to adults where you can have heterosexual men give up their wives and take a dick in the ass and then thank then thank the guy who did it to you afterwards. Uh, well, I mean, then children have the odds, the children's odds of survival, really. They, they've got it stacked against them. 
if they're getting this from the from the point that they're four years old that they're all questioning their gender and their sexuality when they shouldn't even be thinking about sexuality and remember brave new world ladies and gentlemen weaponized especially weaponized homosexuality aside put that aside they instill sexual promiscuity into children of elementary school age to ensure why do they do that in in uh in Brave New World. Why, why do they do that to the children in Brave New World? Because when they instill the sexual promiscuity and all that stuff into them at such an early age, it ensures that their ability to form lasting, meaningful adult relationships would be nearly impossible. Okay? And then they pushed it, obviously, to such a degree in that socially engineered world, which we are just careening towards right now, they push it so far that the concept of mother and father became obsolete, if not an obscenity. Because, of course, the state also had invested a lot into the manufacturing of children in artificial wombs, which is going on right now. We get headlines about that every couple of months. Artificial wombs and uh, made-to-order genetically engineered babies. So there was no need for family, there was no need for men, no need for women, no need for emotions. They took their soma, they stayed sedated, and they served the state, and they had completely meaningless transactional sex that left them empty afterwards. So that, that's just, that's just, I would say, all those elements are very alive and well in what we're living through right now. And we may have to make, after we're done with Malachi Martin's windswept house, we may have to go back and do a classic pick like Brave New World and do that for book club. Because there's, pr- there's probably a lot of you out there who have not wa- read it since high school or never read it at all, but just get the references. You really need to soak this up. So maybe we do that. Um, yeah, okay, well, let's, let's continue. We're almost done with this. Almost done with this. So how do you get, Chris Bray asked, how do you get 900 people to, br- to drink poison and to force their children to drink it first? That's pretty much it. Or at, or at least the big pieces of it. Fear, isolation, social atomization, the loss of family connections, sexual degradation, and lost identity. You'll be shocked to hear that People's Temple also had all-night struggle sessions in which sleep-deprived people were forced to confess their most shameful secrets and to confront other people with dark truths about how they were really perceived. But that was just the buffing and polishing. The major piece of the craftsmanship was the disconnection. Jim Jones destroyed people by liberating them from their bourgeois sexual norms and their backward leave-it-to-beaver family fetishizing bullshit. Congratulations, you're free. People visiting their pastor's bedroom to be given a gift of sexual liberation noticed the books on the bedside bookshelf. He had read books about Hitler, Stalin, and Mao. He read them as self-help books, as how-to how to guides, the transitional phase of People's Temple from weird church to full ruin cult, paralleled the Cultural Revolution in which the Red Guards tore down the, old fo- the, the four olds and attacked their elders in public struggle sessions. If you read Tim Reederman's book, Raven, read it alongside of Yuri uh, uh, Sleskin's book, The House of Government, a long group biography of old Bolsheviks who rose to power alongside of Stalin and then died in his purge. They tell a remarkably similar story. Now, some actual news headline. Headline, Melbourne celebrates a city. Celebrates as city ends 262 days of lockdown. 
Who else has worked at systematically and ag- aggressively isolating people and depriving them of their social connections while haranguing them about danger and relentlessly inculcating a fear of death? And they got this uh, this this loser from uh, from Australia that we've gotten to know a little bit too well. You know him. The public health team have advised me to uh, reimpose stage three stay-at-home uh, restrictions. Uh, staying at home except for the four reasons to leave. Don't you want to tear his ears off? Effective from midnight tomorrow night uh, for a period of six weeks. There you go. There you go. Going back in. Take your medicine. Who else works to break family connections and turn people away from their parents? Here's a libs of TikTok video where an Oklahoma middle school teacher says, if your parents don't accept you for who you are, fuck them. I'm your parents now. Hey, if your parents don't love and accept you for who you are this Christmas, fuck them. I'm your parents now. I'm proud of you. Drink some water. I love you. There you go. And and, and what what could they possibly what what could they possibly be not accepted? Like what how are they why are they being rejected? What could what could that mean? Could it could it possibly be anything other than these children who have been sent home after Eight-hour days for years already at that point. Eight-hour days for years already at that point, if they're even nine, ten years old, to have all this nonsense put in their heads about what they really are and and all this shit, what they really like and whatever. So they go on. They go on. There's so much more in here. Where do we see sessions and struggle where people are encouraged to confess shameful realities of their true identity? Well, of course, that goes down to power and privilege and oppression. All of those little, you know, those little training and uh, community training videos and programs that everyone from PepsiCo to Home Depot put out there, the Smithsonian about white privilege, we get that a lot. Read Robin D'Angelo's book, She's a Cult Leader, Running Struggle Sessions. And so here's where we are first. And then you have all this, uh, the charts, you get into those on your own. I'll put the links in the description of this episode. And here's a message I got recently from Chronicle of Health of Higher Health, an advertisement for a $179 guide to student mental health. College students of all ages are more distressed than ever before increasing numbers enrolling with mental health histories. While institutions were already under pressure to meet students' mental health needs, the current events have made the situations more dire. Counseling center directors and other clinicians who work with students are seeing a significant increase in anxiety, depression, and behavioral disorders, prompting college leaders to look for strategies to support mental health. They should not be going to college. That's number one, especially especially after being this badly abused. Can't throw them into social situations like this. And Chris Bray ends on this note. Jim Jones destroyed people by breaking their connection to other people. He delivered a message of fear, despondency, and dependency. He led people into despair by teaching it to them. That's the cult that died at Jonestown, and that's the broad outlines of 21st century mainstream culture. You defeat pathological disconnection by remaining connected. You fight death with the choice of life. And right now, you have to choose with consciousness and deliberation because the other path is cultural default. The Cultural Default, Notice and Act. Great, great work by Chris Bray. And um, let's go to a really quick break. Really quick break, ladies and gentlemen. As you see, you wonder, you wonder why, 
why why people could ever be that gullible because people are programmable bio computers and uh, many in this audience if not most of this audience would probably be the ones that were turned away at the door of the freak show that was Jim Jones's church but um, suffice it to say I think that there are many more people than us who would have actually been sucked in I don't know we will be right back don't go anywhere Welcome to Intermission. We'll we'll be right back. Yeah, Intermission. Quite frankly. 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 We all support quite frankly. Not quite. Let's go, Brandon. I agree. Yeah. Quite frankly, in Roma, Italia. Quite frankly, you're going on Frank's show tonight? I really like you. You're very smart. So everybody watch. Quite frankly. With Frank. Quite frankly. How dare you? I would like to thank everybody for being supporters of this show again and uh, because it, it makes nights like tonight, every night of the week, so exciting to get in the car, get to the studio, flip the lights on in here, just get everything right and make everything right on these on these screens and get the media lined up and just knowing that the clock is ticking down we go live and I see people in the chat rooms the several chat rooms uh, enjoying themselves getting ready and and it's 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 a, a wonderful wonderful feeling so thank you guys for supporting the show even if it's just through sharing it and being on active on social media but uh, at the bare minimum please go to like iTunes I would love to see this show chart on iTunes one day and give it a nice review. Give it five stars on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. You can find everything that has to do with this show on quitefrankly.tv. That that includes the sponsor us page. 
where you can weigh out all your options for contributing to the bottom line here. I have spots open for, I think there's a couple of spots open still. I mean, we're, they, they, as soon as they open up, they, they just like close up again, but still pen pals, postcards. Um, there's a few Polaroid sponsorship spots where you get a Polaroid every month. That's all open there. And then, and more on subscribe star and, uh, and you can get a lot more than that. You get your merch. And people do, because I get emails, everybody wearing merch, drinking from, quite frankly, coffee cups, and I am I just love it. And the P.O. Box, always remember, if you ever wanted to send, like, a holiday card or anything like that, the P.O. Box, that's on the Sponsor Us page as well. So thank you, you sexy, sexy chat. Just always very well, very well manicured. Very well uh, showered, too. I never get any 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 bad smells from the chat room. Other chat rooms are very stinky, but ours just wonderful, like potpourri. Does anybody get potpourri anymore? Potpourri. I remember po potpourri, fresh potpourri being laid out at my grandmother's house in those little those little uh, porcelain dishes. And um, does that even? I don't think anybody needs that stuff anymore. Everything stinks. What do you need a potpourri for when you have all of Gwyneth Paltrow uh, vagina candles? You know, Christmas time. There's nothing more Christmassy than lighting the tree, baking some cookies, and, and just all with that backdrop of Gwyneth Paltrow's vagina wafting in the air. I know many of you have that. I should, I should start a promo code for it. Oh boy, I want to wish a happy birthday to AK. AK, she is in the Discord chat, hanging out. She is a lively one. I know it's her birthday today. Happy birthday, darling. Everybody is a fan of yours. Have a good one. Enjoy the entire month. It's your month. Nobody else's. So, there you have it. All right, here's one from John. Uh, Frank, have you been watching any silly movies lately? I know that you and your family like to get together and watch movies on Hallmark, but that was Christmas, so what do you do now? It is, it's still Hallmark. It probably won't be lasting for too much longer, only because we usually get together around 7 o'clock and, and watch a movie together. You know, my father, my mother... Lauren, me, Anthony, the baby's already in bed and whatever, but we, we all get together and, uh, and skip when he's not in the hospital. Talk about that some other time. Keep praying for him though, please, if you can. And, uh, we still watch Hallmark movies because they're easy to make fun of and they, they're unironic, they, they, they're unironic. Like they're, they're trying to take themselves seriously, these terrible scripts, but they're, they're hilarious. So we make coffee and we put out like a, you know, a pie from the farmer's market. And this past Sunday, funny you ask, the most ridiculous film that we've watched ever on the Hallmark channel, these love, these love films. We DVR them so we can skip over the commercials or else it would really be torture. It would not be fun. <clears throat> it was called The Baker's Son. Out of all the Christmas movies we have seen that are just terrible, but terrible in a good way, this, this took it all. Yeah, this guy in a small town, of course, and a big, a big developer, architect girl, uh, she's coming in from the city, she goes to a little Connecticut town or wherever the hell they are, and this guy is the son of a baker 
a baker who lost all of his inspiration to bake bread. I don't know he's how how he's even in in uh, in in business. Apparently, he lost all of his magic as a bread maker after he lost his wife. So I don't know how the business even survived that long to pass it on to his son, who is also an uninspired bread maker. He just doesn't have that. There just doesn't have the inspiration. So he falls in love with a ballet dancer. Uh. But it's really not the ballet dancer he wants to... He, he doesn't know he needs to end up with. It's his, his best friend, Annie, from the, the local diner. And Annie's the one that inspired him. He didn't know... He finds that out at the very end. It's her... The entire town... Apparently, he makes the best bread ever after he meets this ballet dancer. And he doesn't change anything. I guess it's just magic. It's like, poof, magic. And it starts getting throughout... The entire region, like I guess the Pacific, I don't think it was Connecticut. The other one was Connecticut that we watched the other week. Everybody starts learning about this bread. Tourism comes back to the town because they heard of a bread maker that has all the bread. And everybody's just obsessed. They're walking around just eating bread. It's, it's ridiculous. And I guess you have to go above and beyond. It was ridiculous. But at the end, you just see this town that is really insane. Really insane toward the end of these Hallmark movies, I really do believe you can successfully trans, uh, you can successfully shift all of their all of their narratives, all their stories and turn them into horror films. Around around the 70% mark, the 3 quarters mark of any of those Hallmark films, you can just as easily turn it into a horror film because everybody's there's something wrong with everybody in those films. All the characters are fucked up. But in like, I don't know, Brady Bunch kind of fucked up. Like it's too, they have no problems, but they pretend that they do. They have no problems. They all have the perfect jobs. Perfectly, they wake up in the middle of the night. Their, their makeup is already on. I love it. Oh, I just, I love, I love making fun of them. I wish I can, I wish there was a way to have you all over to experience that with my family, but it's not possible. There's no room. There's just no room. All right, let's get into the Super Chats, because I have something else to add on to this story for the last 15 minutes or so that we have you guys here. Stostube. Thank you so much, Stostube. I don't know what I'm going to do. I have to buy a bigger humidor. I don't know what I'm going to do with all these cigars that Stostube sent me, but they are high-quality cigars. Thank you, Stostube. I guess I just have to start having some company over, some steak and cigar nights, and giving them out and sharing them with company. Uncle Teddy. Love you, Frank. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Uncle Teddy. Thank you. And you know what I'm going to do? I think on Friday night, either Friday night or tomorrow, after Sean and Corey get off the air with me, we are going to give away the two, the broken stick and the set list from the the gig on April 27th at uh, at Garcia's here in Westchester, New York. And I think what I'm going to do is I'm just going to get... It's just going to be for those who are on the Tippus stream. Because the Tippus stream, that that logs email addresses. And I'll, I'll know how to re reach out to people. That'll be easy. So um, that's what we'll do. I'll announce it maybe tomorrow night. We're going to do a giveaway. I, uh, like a, I don't know. I Like a, a lottery. And I'll explain it. It'll be very simple. And that'll be fun. I can't wait to mail it off to somebody. All right. Hello to everybody on Rockfin. I see you hanging out there. And hello to everybody on Rumble. We have a few. We have a Rumble rant. 
from gman1156 jim jones was my dad's fourth grade teacher all he did was read the newspaper to the class and send them out for soccer every day whoa really jim jones was your dad's fourth grade teacher jeez that's one hell of a story well, we had somebody, um, we have another, who's the other guy? We had another, uh, a long-time viewer of the show now, whose sister, I believe, went to school with Ted Kaczynski. Um, was, like, friends with Ted Kaczynski when they were children? I don't know. Classmates? I remember that one. Okay, well, we have a lot of gold pills, but for some reason they have not been sifted away from the regular chats. So this is probably going to be a disaster. Hold on. Let's see if we can... Wait a second. I have to see if I can get this sifted. We have a wonderful amount of gold pills that are already out there. Oh, wait. I think we got it. Looks like there's another gold pill fight that's happening in the room, which has been fantastic because those gold pills alone have been adding so much to the production budget for the network and allowing us to to, to work on new ideas and new, new uh, schedules and all that stuff. Witchypoo22, thank you. Dr. Hoffman, thank you. Jay Jewell, where do we find that article, Frank? I was in the S uh, the San Francisco area during his popularity. I will, uh, you know what? I'll put it in the chat room right now. Part one in the chat room right now. And uh, all the chat rooms. So that's number one. I'll put it in Theta. I will put it in Rockfin. I will put it on the Telegram, so you can go on the Quite Frankly Telegram, and I will put it there. Article from tonight's show. Boom. There you go. The power of the mask compels you. And I will, I will even drop it into the Discord, so... There you have it. There is an abundance of links. Chris Bray is the guy's name, and he's on Substack. Thank you, Witchy Poo and Dr. Hoffman. They're getting this fight going on now with this cookie stuff. It's wonderful. EO, happy birthday to Death by Rust in Australia. Happy birthday, Rust. Jay Brewski's Potpourri Underwater Cookie. Underwear Cookie, I'm sorry. Potpourri Underwear Cookie. And now there's a pill run going on. Whoa, boy, oh, boy. Thank you, everybody, so much. Thank you, Empress Bitch, to you. Thank you, everybody. Okay. So here's one thing I wanted to get on. I wanted to get the Zells on with me tonight, but they couldn't do it. So Frank sent me something in particular that would go hand in hand with what we are dealing with right now. And here's what he wanted to send me. What he wanted to add to the show. Because he says there's a lot to say about Jonestown and other things that it was connected to. But here's, here is Frank Zell's contribution to the show. This is an old Washington Post article from October 5th, 1978, written by Jack Anderson. The headline is, the CIA may have inspired Sinke. Did the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency, unwittingly inspire the kidnapping of Patty Hearst? This bizarre possibility is raised in a sworn testimony or a statement by a convict who served time in California prison with the heiress's captor, Donald Sinke DeFries. 
the violent field marshal of the Symbionese Liberation Army. Admittedly, the convict, Clifford Jefferson, can hardly be considered a reliable witness. He's serving life for murder and for assaulting a fellow inmate. He's known as Death Row Jeff. On the other hand, it's not clear what he would gain by fabricating a story. Here is Jefferson's strange tale contained in an affidavit for Hearst's first defense attorney, Vincent Hallinan. In 1971 and 1972, Jefferson was confined with DeFreeze at a facility in Vacaville, California. In the early part of 1971, DeFreeze stated to me that the CIA was conducting tests to try out certain drugs on inmates, and he had been in on it, said Jefferson's sworn testimony. He continued, These tests were on the third floor of the facility in B3. I went there and met two CIA men who were giving these tests. They gave me drugs, including mescaline, quaalude, and artane. These drugs first made me terribly frightened, then other drugs were given to calm me down. DeFreeze stated that he had gone through the same test and also knew the stress tests that were being given to prisoners in which they were kept in solitary, harassed, and annoyed until they would do anything asked of them to get out, and they were given these drugs and would become like robots. He, DeFreeze, said that when he got out, he would get a revolutionary group to kidnap some rich person. They would hold that person tied up in a dark place, keep them frightened and fear in fear of their life, give them mescaline and other drugs, and the person would become a robot and do anything that he was asked to, including killing others. He thought a good one to kidnap would be of the Kennedys. Then a revolutionary group would get a great publicity and can get their person uh, to get them money. DeFreeze left the Vacaville a facility in late 1972. He and his cohorts uh, kidnapped Patty Hearst in 1974, and according to testimony at her trial, kept her bound and blindfolded in a closet for 54 days. Jefferson, of course, had his no way of knowing whether this treatment was used in tandem with LSD or other drugs, as Hallinan uh, suspects, as Hallinan suspects, to transform his daughter, the daughter of a millionaire, into Tania a machine-gun-toting, bank-robbing revolutionary. DeFreeze was killed in 1974 in a shootout with police in Los Angeles, but CIA files confirm that the agency did conduct drug experiments on Vacaville inmates as part of what was now uh, what was known as the MKUltra program. This was designed to study the effects of stress and drugs on prisoners of war, to determine the point to which they could crack and become robot-like slaves, doing and saying anything that they were ordered to do, casting doubt on Jefferson's credibility, Vacaville Superintendent T. Uh, T. Lawrence Clannon told our associate Gary Cohn, there is no evidence the CIA conducted any experiments at Vacaville after 1968, two years before DeFreeze entered the prison. You know, um, Bobby Kennedy was killed via MK Ultra Slave, and that was in 1968. Furthermore, he said DeFreeze could not have known of the CIA's involvement in the Vacaville experiments until 9 August of 1976, when it was disclosed. Thus, DeFreeze could not have told anyone that the CIA was conducting the tests, as Jefferson's affidavit says. On the other hand, Clannon acknowledged that DeFreeze had volunteered for medical research in July of 1970, shortly after he entered Vacaville, and a, and a source familiar with the CIA's experiments at Vacaville said it is uncertain when the agency ended its testing there. 
In their affidavits to the federal judge who presided at the Hearst trial, Hearst's lawyers described the symptoms they observed when they first interviewed her as consistent with those of a person having a nervous breakdown or under the influence of drugs. Another affidavit by college friend of, of the heiress described similar symptoms of emotional disorder that he and his wife observed during a jail visit. A wild story, certainly, and perhaps nothing more than the product of an imaginative, an imaginative convict's mind. But stranger stories about the CIA initially scoffed at by the ravings of science, uh, scoff, scoffed at as the ravings of science fiction or spy novel buffs have turned out to be true. So, now here's the thing. This is why Frank sent it to me. The CIA may have inspired the Patty Hearst debacle. The article came out one month before Jonestown, and it has been said that Leo Ryan leaked this to Jack Anderson to get the info out there in, in the papers into whatever kind of section of the public that would allow this to seep into their consciousness and wonder what is really going on here. And, um, and, and when I, I, I pushed a little bit further with that with Frank and asked him, you know, where else would we go here? I said, and so is that the biggest link? He says, yes, Leo Ryan is the link between this and between Jonestown because Leo Ryan, when he found out about Vacaville, um, and don't forget that Ryan was in charge of CIA oversight, Leo Ryan, CIA oversight. These are stories that were particularly in his wheelhouse. Ryan leaks Vacaville info to this reporter, Jack Anderson, and then a month later, he's sent to Jonestown to investigate what's going on there, and Leo Ryan is assassinated in Jonestown, in Guyana. So... Just a little bit of a, a little bit of an epilogue. A little bit of an epilogue. Maybe I can get the, uh, maybe I can get the 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 Zells on some other time with this. Oh, I see. Jim just messaged me. He says I can get on, Frank, if you want. Well, it's eight twenty-six. I got to get off the show. I got to get off in four minutes. I would have loved to have you you guys on for the that this whole last half hour, but. That's all we have for tonight. The new People's Temple. Is that what we're dealing with here? It's so far beyond Trump derangement syndrome. And as we can see, there is no depth. There's no bottom to human gullibility. So ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed yourself here tonight. Hold on. Let's do five minutes with Jim. Jim. Hey Frank. Hey, hey! I, I, I'm gonna push past 8:30, like by like five minutes. So let, let, let okay, I'm just gonna, I, I I'm gonna let you talk. To, yeah, I'll try to just kind of sum up a few things. I know my brother sent you that article regarding uh, Congressman Ryan. Uh, if you, I don't know if you're familiar with the name Joel uh, Hollingser. That was the aide of Congressman Ryan. He was his longtime aide, top administrative aide. And, you know, he was devastated when, uh, when Congressman Ryan was killed. And he took a crusade, basically, to kind of find out and dig into the truth about what really went, went on and why he was sent down there. And I was listening to some old interviews with him back in the 70s, like 79, and he was telling stories. Now, this is Ryan's aide, okay? 
he said when they were trying to figure out what was going on down in Guyana, he said that they questioned the State Department for certain, and they asked them for certain information on this group, on, 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 on the People's Temple. The, the State Department kept on rebuffing them, all right? Kept on rebuffing them. They kept on asking for information. So finally, uh, Congressman Ryan is the type of guy who he was. He wanted to go down there for himself. If he wasn't going to be able to get information from the State Department, he had to go down there by himself. Holzinger said this, that the State Department was sending uh, Jim Jones information under the guise of the Freedom of Information Act on Leo Ryan and what he was looking into. That's coming from the aid of Leo Ryan, that the State Department was sending Jim Jones information. Okay? Mm-hmm. So tell me that that doesn't raise alarm bells. And also my brother mentioned Richard Dwyer, who was there, and he was the guy that you hear in the recordings. Get Dwyer out of here. Richard Dwyer was in Guyana. He was the top chief ambassador to Guyana. He wound up being found out later on was the station chief for the CIA in Guyana. He denied it, or he didn't really deny it. When he was confronted by the FBI, the FBI first asked to interview him. He told the the FBI, I'm not doing interviews with you. And they said, okay, we'll just ask one question. Are you with the CIA? He said, no comment. Hmm. He didn't say no. He said, no comment. And later on, there was a book that was found called Who's Who in the CIA. I think it was a book back in the 60s. Who's in that book? Richard Dwyer. Wow. He was a CIA CIA guy that was in Guyana, and he was there at the airport, and he went back after the shooting into the compound as well. Some people believe that Richard Dwyer may have shot Jim Jones. Okay? Okay. And there is so many things that show you that this was an intelligence operation. Frank, once they, once MK Ultra was kind of exposed openly, we all know they never stopped. They went private. They went into the cults, right? They got yeah. out of the state facilities. They got out of the VA. They got out of the prisons. But they went not so much underground. They went into the cults. You know what's a good example of that? The finders. Mm. It's, it's, a, it's a very similar. Same, same thing. Right. So. So when you say that, you know, because it's it's one of those things where a lot of people have heard and read that uh, even Jonestown, they had they had this uh, this kind of like intelligence operation undertone or or it was just an intelligence operation. What was the what was the mission? Was it just a large scale uh, obedience test? Was it a large-scale test on what can be done to large amount of because as what we pretty much the theme of tonight is that what was done in a uh, a, a smaller way with this one congregation that that uh, garnered worldwide attention in the 1970s has really it, with this, with the same kind of methodology has been used to browbeat and bludgeon to death the the spirit and the will out of hundreds of millions of people through 2020 to 2022. And so it, it, would you say that the, 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 greatest, the greatest mission objective for this particular operation was just compliance testing and behavioral modification and drugs? And what, what do you think? I, th- I think it was multifaceted, to be honest. I mean, that article you read was great, 
on how the parallels between what took place with Jim Jones and what was happening with COVID. I mean, sure, you're always going to have a, a group of people. It could be a large group of people that will will just do things that defy logic in, in the face of things that are before their their very eyes. They'll just they'll just do what they're told. I mean, you can look throughout history and see examples of that on a small scale, like the Stanford experiment, where guys just started acting in a bizarre way just because they were put in a certain environment. Mm. But what, 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 I, what I think is it was multifaceted. The Washington Post did, a, did an article in 1977, and they were writing about top world leaders that take money from the CIA, right? So there was a leader from Jordan, multiple leaders. There was one name on there, and his name was Forbes Burnham. Forbes Burnham. Forbes Burnham was the leader of Guyana from 1964 to 1980, right in the middle of the Jonestown episode. This was in the Washington Post. He was The leader there was taking money from the CIA, number one. I believe that part of what was going on was twofold. We had our guy down there, which was Forbes Burnham, he was already taking money that's documented in the Washington Post article, but the CIA had him on the payroll, and that was our guy in place, and we may, may have gone down there with the People's Temple as sort of like a strong arm, maybe the enforcers down there, they were using that group, because that camp, the People's Temple, they had arms in that, in that compound, multiple weapons, they, they, they were flushed with weapons, yeah. and the leader of Guyana was letting it happen. They were importing the weapons. How, how does that happen? Why do you have weapons there? And, and, a, and, a, and, a, private, and a private airstrip. Yeah, private airstrip, weapons galore on the compound, being allowed in by, the, by, by Guyana, by the leader, who's on the payroll of the CIA. You have the station chiefs of the CIA in Guyana right there near the camp. Hmm. So I, I think it was twofold. To protect the guy we put in power, number one, and two, experimentation, because there's a book by Michael Myers called was the Jonestown uh, Massacre, a mass experimentation, experimentation attempt. And on the compound, they found a footlocker filled with pharmaceuticals. And one of the pharmaceuticals was Thorazine. Okay? 11,000 doses of Thorazine. They, they compared that. They said that was enough Thorazine to, to, emote, to pretty much uh, tranquilize 120,000 people for a year. And you only had 1,200 people in the compound. All right? So there was a lot of drugs there, so I think it was twofold. I think we might have been trying to work with the leader there to accomplish whatever purposes we wanted to do in Guyana and had these guys there as maybe enforcers. And plus, we had a bunch of people who were gullible, were naive, who were sucked in, and they used them to experiment on them. I think hmm. it was. Uh, I think it was multifaceted. Well, we got to talk about this again one night because I, 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 I'm still uh, curious as to. I mean, I've heard all those horrible audio tapes of of the uh, uh, Jim Jones encouraging people to drink, drink, get it over with, let it be done, die already, whatever, all that stuff. But why, you know, I, I don't understand why, especially if it starts looking like this was an insulated and uh, well-known and a uh, an operation that was on the map. Why the um, why the, the the frenzied push to kill everybody? 
I mean, what was the what was the reason for pulling the plug on everything and encouraging everyone who called Guyana their new home to commit suicide, and then of course to 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 hunt down and, and shoot down those who uh, at the last moment got red pilled and they tried to run. I mean, wh- why? What was the what was the pull the plug moment? Why did that whole happen? I can't explain why everybody had to go that. Why a lot of people had to go down in that. I guess maybe you know another sign of an intelligence operation that is falling apart is bodies start hitting the floor, right? You know, and that happened in Guyana where bodies were dropping everywhere. Which, as you talked about, there was about thirty percent of them that died uh, via gunshot or injection in the shoulder. Okay, not all of them took the Kool Aid, so to speak. Um, not, no one, not everybody drank that juice. Many of them ran into the jungle to try to escape. Mm. Now you got to remember, the U.S. military was sent in there days later. We sent the contingent of the military to Guyana because um, the coroner of Guyana said the, the total is about 400 people. That's was the initial total. Once we got there a week later, next thing you know, the numbers start going up: 600, 700, 800. 900 and it's like whoa 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 why the discrepancy and you know what the, you know what they said what they they miscounted <laughs> they don't count well that's what they said Boy. they don't count well and the bodies that they were counting they made a boo boo because there was bodies under the bodies and they missed those think Man. about that for a second that was what they threw out there that they didn't know how to count and that they missed the bodies underneath the bodies so the coroner from Guyana didn't miss all that. Get out of here. Well, here we are uh, <laughs> once again, 2020 to 2022. A lot of accounting glitches there. We've uh, we've got a lot of glitches that, that screwed with math of infection rates and this and that. I'm saying it's just the same old shit over and over again. It really is. It, it is, and it's telling you stuff that doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't Never. add up and we just swallow it but i'll leave you with one last thing that i found fascinating and i and i just found this out today on it to be honest with you re- i was reading about it and you married the La- you mentioned larry layton as one of the guys in the camp yeah uh his his wife deborah layton l- listen to this deborah layton's mother deborah layton's mother who was in deborah who was in the camp her mom was named lisa layton she was born in 1915 in Hamburg, and she was a very rich lady. Okay, do you know who? Her, do you know who her childhood friends were that she associated and hung out with? Her, they basically played with all the time. No, the Rothschild, the Rothschilds, the freaking Rothschilds. That family, the Laytons, the woman, the daughter, Deborah Layton, her mom was very good friends with the Rothschilds. It to me that's fascinating that there's even a connection to the Rothschild. That family had it, though. Mm. All this stuff is, like, interconnected, man. It, it really is. Central intelligence agencies, elite people, uh, elite families, all intersects at some point. But Jonestown is fascinating. I know you're, you're pressed for time. That We're not even going into George Moscone, Harvey Milk. Oh, I know. Diane Feinstein. That's what I'm, I mean, I, that's what I'm it's, saying. It's incredible. We have to, we have to, like you and Frank, we got to, I, I told you guys the other day, we have to pencil in maybe like once a month, once every two months. There has to be a true crime night that we do together uh, regularly. People would eat that up. Oh, I mean, 
you know, we, we would love to talk about cases. And I mean, there's so, I mean, you can go on to a whole other thing with Jonestown and whenever you wanted, just let us know. And so we'll talk, we can discuss what cases you wanted to talk about and we can go from there and set something up. All right. Then, uh, yeah, I'll get in touch. I'll, I'll, I'm, we'll probably talk later on and we'll figure something out either for later on this month or one of the first things we do in June. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Just uh, hit us up, send us a message, and uh, what was the name of that guy who wrote that article you were reading? Chris what? Chris Bray, B-R-A-Y. B-R. That line that he used is a memorable line that, about Jim Jones, that he was a misplaced pimp in a fake pulpit. Hmm. What a friggin' line that is, man. Oh, he tremendous. had, a, <laughs> one, oh, he had a, quite a few one-liners in there that I thought were just tremendous. So I hope everybody enjoys that read. And, uh, and yeah, I look forward to more with you and, uh, and Frank, Jim. Thanks for the call. Hey, no problem, Frank. Have a good night. Thank you. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen, that is it for us. Thank you for all of your support. Please go and sign up and become a monthly sponsor of the show only need one dollar for that whatever the hell is good for you it's good for me and it helps things grow because there's so much more i want to do with this show as we've already been able to do in the last god knows how many years so thank you guys so much thank you hello kitty says hi frank potpourri memories at uh, at christmas time the very last christmas we spent with grandma she had dementia and was eating my mom's potpourri and commenting how good uh the snacks were yes Boy, yeah, I'm sure that's happened more than a few times. Babies and old people have probably eaten a lot of potpourri. Thank you to Swickley. Thank you to C. Blanche. Thank you to uh, all of my wonderful people on Foxhole throwing in those, those gold pills. I am releasing the scratching right now, and I will talk to you guys tomorrow at 7. We have two great guests coming on at the same time tomorrow. That is Sean from the SGT Report and Corey from Corey's Digs. So I'll see you tomorrow night. Be well. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, is film before a live studio audience. And now our super chatters, starting with G-Man, the G-Man on Rumble. Thank you so much to Hello Kitty, Stostube, Uncle Teddy, Doc Keck, and... No, that's it. That's all. Thank you all so much. I'll see you afterwards. Nighty-night.